and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you're planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. So thanks for tuning in. Today we're sharing our top 10 national parks that aren't designated as, quote, parks. Good morning. Good morning. Are you awake yet? Just barely. It's not seven o'clock yet. I'm not awake until it hits at least nine. Yeah, so this is <laughs> feels kind of weird for us recording because we almost always record as the very last thing we do in our day just because that's how it works. It gets pushed to the very end. But today it got, or yeah, yesterday it got pushed so far to the end that we're like, we cannot do this at 11 o'clock again. We have to get to bed. Um, but our compromise was that we would wake up early and take it on. So, And that's great. I love getting up early, especially in the summer when it's already uh, light outside. Yeah, that's so true, and we tried to do that as much as possible in the parks, really change our sleep schedule to fit the light, because it only makes sense. Uh, You can't really do anything at camp in the dark compared to all the stuff you can do in these amazing parks at in the morning when it's light early. So we were moderately successful on that front, I would say, throughout our trip. We definitely... Definitely slept in on a number of occasions as long as we wanted. We definitely slept a lot, I would say, which is good, which is necessary because we were so busy and hiking so much and, you know, putting our bodies through a lot during the day. And I would say we averaged nine hours of sleep a night, maybe. You think that many? I I think it was a solid eight. Yeah. But I'm maybe a little over eight. I'm not sorry. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> no regrets it got us here. Through. It got us through. Yeah. But anyway, we have a really good long podcast, really solid podcast episode, and I need to get to work <laughs> soon, <laughs> so let's get started. Sure. So this week, we started, we're starting our new theme that uh, we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks called Why the Parks Are Parks. So what in our country has been protected? Why are some parks um, centered around history while others are centered around um, culture and just beauty? What are all of these designations? What do they mean? And also, what have we chosen in our country and valued as important enough to protect? So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. Um, Just kind of the background of... of, um, what makes a park a park. And so today we're talking, we're, st- we're doing or sharing a top 10 list like we do every five or so episodes. And this top 10 list is all about national park sites, national parks that are not designated as, quote, national parks. <laughs> so as you know, we visited all 59 national parks, but there are actually 417, 19? 18? 18, 19, it's around there. It changing. There are over 400 national parks in the whole NPS, the National Parks System Service. Um, and we have that's actually, what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I just looked at our little passport app, which is a really handy way to keep track of all your travels to these parks. We have visited one, we have the real version too, by the way, so we still get our stamps, but we visited 137 park sites total, NPS sites total, including the 59, and on top of the 59, we went to 120 NPS sites total last year, so... It wasn't just the national parks. We definitely tried to get a taste and flavor for all the different national park sites we came across. And 
there were so many amazing ones. A lot of times, if you don't know how it works, it's just a function of, you know, a national park is different from a national monument. Grand Canyon National Park is different from Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument only because Congress designated Grand Canyon as a national park and the president, for instance, just issued an executive order to protect Grand Staircase. So, as you can imagine, politics might come into play a lot since national parks need uh, are only created by an act of Congress. Uh, then presidents on their own can just designate national monuments and all the other uh, 18 de designations are have various rules around them that we won't get into. But just to rattle off a few of the different types of the 18 National Park Service designations, you have, of course, national parks, national preserves, national historic sites, national riverways, national uh, seashores, national lakeshores, national preserves, national recreation areas, national, uh, now I'm looking at Elizabeth's cheat <laughs> sheet, national historic parks, national... Um, there, I love the rivers because there's National Scenic River, National... Uh, no, Scenic and Recreational River, Wild River, Wild and Scenic River. Yeah. So there's a lot of river designations also. And what do all those mean? I'm still not completely they sure. They all mean river. <laughs> yeah. There's, oh, we always kind of overlook the national battlefields, national historic battlefields, the... Military parks. National military parks. Yeah, there's a lot of those sites, actually. But... This so what we're talking about today though are all of the non-national parks and those really started to come into play in 1906 when the Antiquities Act was signed and that was a landmark piece of legislation legislation from Congress basically giving power to the president to use an executive order to um, protect pieces of land. And Teddy Roosevelt, president at the time, was one of the presidents who really took advantage of that act and protected some really important places like Devil's Tower that might come up today. Um, and just the final piece of background I'll give, this whole thing of the Antiquities Act came up because Mesa Verde National Park was basically... Um, a Swedish, I believe, researcher came in there and took all of the artifacts uh, that he was researching about back to Sweden. And the U.S. was like, hey, that's our stuff. That's our, like, history, culture, our antiquities. So they passed this piece, uh, piece of legislation so nobody could do that in the future. Great. Yeah. Um, so we now let's go ahead and get started. Normally on these top 10 lists, we don't like to share them in any specific order, but I think today we're going to share in actual, in our actual top 10 order. So here we go. Our number 10 national park is, uh, Mount Rushmore National Monument. That's right. And as many of you probably know, that's in South Dakota, near the um rapid uh, city thank you i was blanking rapid city area which is a very cool area and this is something you just gotta do it's you know a bucket list item for any u.s traveler and um, it's a perfect road trip stop because it only takes a day um you really don't need more than a day probably um, half a day probably half a day right we Arriving like, early is important. It gets right. really, really crowded mid-morning. Um, what else? We actually went on Sunday, and we were aiming to go to church there. So that's kind of a cool thing. They have a church service, and we could not find the place. 
Um, but eventually we realized once the service was going that it's down in the very front of the amphitheater just in the seats. So that's something unique on Sundays specifically, but you get in there, and it's not a large park, so you can explore all of it really easily. And after going through the Hall of Flags or the Walkway of Flags, you get past these kind of... um, uh, I don't know, entryways, and it opens up to Mount Rushmore right in front of you, the four faces, um, just really picturesque setting because it's, you know, all around, it's carved right out of the mountains, so it's got a really natural look and feel, and they're just really impressive. Yeah, and also really good information, so I, going in, you know, I had never Well, I I think my parents said I had been to Mount Rushmore before, but I didn't remember it. So going in, I kind of just knew the basic look and didn't really know anything about the history of it and and the creation of it. So there are several museums throughout the park that um, really give a lot of great background into what you're looking at. Um, There's a movie. There are events. They have, I know they have like a some kind of sunset event. They have the lighting. Lighting, that's what yeah. it is. Yes. Yep. So uh, that's cool, too, if you can see it at the end of the day and then see it get lit up. Right. And it is a free park, uh, but 11 it costs $11 for parking, which is how they work around that. So it's actually the only park that doesn't care about your... Uh, pass or your um america the beautiful pass so unfortunately since the actual park is free the and it's eleven dollars to park and there's nowhere else around where you could possibly park and walk in then you're kind of stuck paying that eleven dollars but still eleven dollars for the car to park is is very manageable four quick things i'd say make sure you do one do the movie get the background to visit the museum. It's an amazing museum with lots of really cool exhibits. Again, the stories behind this are what are really fascinating. Do the walkway around the, um, just the only walkway trail there is. It gets you up close right underneath Mount Rushmore. And then also make sure to hit the Sculptor's Studio, which is at the very end of the trail. And it has some really cool um, kind of models that they used as they were building, uh, ideating the sculpture and scaling it up. All right. All right. Moving on to number nine, near, not too far from Mount Rushmore. That's true. We've got the country's very first national monument which is devil's tower so devil's tower is a ridiculous formation of rock that basically looks like a cylinder sticking hundreds of feet off up out of the ground Mm -hmm. it's in wyoming it's just it comes up out of nowhere, which I think is why it's especially striking, is that it just looks like the ground has been just you know sucked out in that in that section. And so it's um there there's a few things to do. We actually camped in the campground at Devil's Tower. We also took the long you know the the hike that just goes all the way around the tower. Um, and the, I would recommend going, doing the circumference because you get a lot of different angles with the light and the tower looks different from the north, south, east, and west. It looks different from anywhere that you go around it because it's not, you know, it's not a perfect cylinder. And so you've got all the different sort of angles and tricks that the lighting plays. Yeah. Also the height, which I was just looking up, is 867 feet from base to summit. So that's, you can imagine, this isn't just a small little, you know, this isn't a small rock. This is gigantic, and it's actually really popular with rock climbers um, to climb up the tower. 
there's also on the outside of the perimeter, there are trails that are really good to get different views from a little farther away. So highly recommend those two for a nice all-encompassing viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think what what we liked about it most was just the fact that it is it's so historic. It's the it was the first ever national monument. It was it's like I feel like you you as a visitor you have a really similar experience to the people who first discovered it because you're you're just you're driving through the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden this huge rock is just sticking up so far out of the land and so you really feel like. You could have been discovering it for the first time, too. Yeah, and the towers are, the tower is made up of all of these smaller pillars um, that are hexagonal, actually. So it's got a really cool look and texture to it, not just a big pile of rock. Mm-hmm. All right, number eight. Are we ready for number eight? Yes. Pretty far away, down in Utah, we've got Cedar Breaks. And this one to us really seemed like a mini Bryce Canyon. So this was on our southwest leg. We hit it right after Great Basin National Park, actually, before we got to Bryce Canyon. Actually, uh, in between Zion and Great Basin. Oh, okay. On the way to Great Basin. Got it. From Zion. So it's, it's not too far from Zion, just a couple of hours, and... It's just like a small amphitheater with a lot of, well, not a small, it's a it's a big amphitheater, but compared meaning, to Bryce Canyon, Meaning it's natural amphitheater. Mini. Yes, natural amphitheater of hoodoos and just orange, bright, colorful rocks. Really, really just interesting little, little place. Yeah, we'll um, try to include a picture on the show notes because you really do have to see it to understand what we're talking about but it's all in one what i really liked is that you know in contrast to somewhere like bryce canyon where there are lots of different areas this is just one gigantic area where you stand on the rim you can see the whole thing just wrap around you and all the way down to the bottom to the valley floor there are hoodoos all along the slope and then you can see out as well Um, is just a really cool small area and we took a really nice four mile trail out along the rim to spectra point and ramparts so highly recommend just doing a little trail there yeah we also camped um which was a nice little campground with a shower what so if you're looking for you know a nice place that normal you know is maybe $15 it wasn't anything crazy for camping um but if you're looking for a little break with a shower in between on your uh, while you're exploring Utah cedar breaks hit it up as opposed to the other national parks there that do not have free showers um this had a free shower so it was crazy you can tell that really resonated with some of us well yeah all right. The clean ones. Yeah. <laughs> Down to the people, the the ones who care about um, not looking like a dumpster diver. Anyway, number seven, all the way out to Hawaii, World War II Valor of the Pacific National Monument. And this is actually what is more commonly known as Pearl Harbor. So this was the first thing we did in Hawaii, really. We flew in to Hawaii for the two national parks on Maui and the Big Island, but once we flew into Honolulu on Oahu, we knew we weren't going to pass up Pearl Harbor, and we took a bus out there. It was pretty easy to get there on the bus from the middle of Honolulu. Waikiki. Uh, Yeah, Waikiki, where we were staying, and... It was, we made sure to get there early because you just have to. It's such a popular site. It's super, super crowded. Um, it is free, which is nice. The The whole site, the boat, including the boat ride out to the memorial, 
um, staying at the memorial, coming back, and then there's also a movie first, and then all of the museums. They're all, everything is free, but we would actually highly recommend getting the audio tour. It's like a little headset that you can get, and because not only did this give you a lot more information, it also made it feel, made the crowds feel less overwhelming, because it was crowded, but when you when you had were wearing the headset with the, getting the audio tour, it almost felt like you were doing it by yourself. It was it was almost more personal experience, um, and you get to hear personal stories um, of the event. You also get to hear and from the survivors and yes. stuff. I, I liked that yeah. a lot. Yeah, and so it just gives a lot different perspective and a lot um, more information about what you're seeing. Right. So get that when you get there. Go to, they'll basically direct you into the movie first. Very worthwhile. And then kind of the cornerstone of the experience is getting on the boat to boat out to the USS Arizona Memorial where it's, you know, that was one of the big battleships that was sunk and it... Um, is still leaking oil from the bottom of the harbor. So that was just super powerful to see the watery grave of all of these servicemen. And you can go on, it it has a little um, walkway above the water where you can walk along it and see on either side the USS Arizona kind of going, running right under you. You can see the boilers and everything in the water. And then you get to the end, and it's a very nice um, memorial area where all of the names of the people who passed away in Pearl Harbor were um, memorialized. So that is, is really kind of a somber tone, but also very uh, respectful, very educational. And very important for the, the overall history of our country, too. And I think that's what the, the National Park Service has done, is protect not just beautiful places, but also places of historical significance. Um, and, and, you know, in even recent historical significance. So we have you have the whole spectrum of, you know, the country developing and then going through these wars and, um, you know, coming out on the other side. And so I, I feel like the national parks just do a, a good job of covering the entirety of, of the country. And I'll also say that the national parks do not shy away from, um, you know, history that doesn't necessarily make U.S. look bad. You know, Pearl Harbor is a great rallying point for U.S. and a, a point where we can remember um, fondly the sacrifices of our military. But number six brings us to an episode that we're not so proud of, also in World War II era. It is Manzanar National Historic Site, and Manzanar is a Japanese concentration camp uh, that was used in World War II from 1942 to 1945. And during that time period, about 110,000 Japanese citizens in the U.S., and sometimes immigrants who might not have achieved citizen status yet, but Japanese uh, ancestry people in the U.S. were sent, forced to these concentration camps. There were 10 around California and I think uh, one or two in Oregon, maybe elsewhere, that were in just super remote places. And Manzanar is in on the other side of the Sierra Nevadas, the east side, so in the rain shadow, and really close to some of the tallest peaks like Mount Whitney, but we went there right after Death Valley. Yeah, so on our way from Death Valley back in, you know, out to the California coast, we hit 
um, we hit, we stopped by Manzanar. We, we weren't sure how much of an impact it was going to make on us until we got there, I think, because we had read a little bit about what the historic site was about, but a lot of these historic sites, you know, you go in and it's, you know, it's a few hours of looking around at some buildings and then you leave. <laughs> but Manzanar was a lot different to us just because of the, just how, I don't know, just how sad and kind of guilty <laughs> we felt about about after we left. Yeah, it was really well done, the whole um, the whole facility. So they've really done a great job recreating what it was, what it looked like during that um, concentration camp time. They have a security fence around the whole outside. You can see the towers where the military kept watch over the camp. And then you get in, there's a few barracks buildings, there's a dining hall, there's you know, the wash houses, the concrete pads where they had maybe a basketball court, uh, there are the orchards, there's the um, just all, all the old facilities that they had, and many of them on the inside are made up to look like they did back then. But also, usually added in are exhibits that explain what life was like, you know, what um, their food was like, and who cooked the food. You know, there was even stuff like a camouflage net making factory on the site, uh, specifically at Manzanar. So it's really interesting to read about it, but also just like the valor of the Pacific Memorial uh, National Monument get the survivor stories. And that's what really makes it come to life is when you can read and hear about the stories of the people who went through the time and they did a really good job documenting that. Yeah, really high quality museum, lots of audio, which I appreciate, lots of, um, you know, firsthand accounts of what's going on. Um, and just really eye-opening for us, really kind of like stopped us in our tracks on our during our trip. We were in between Death Valley and Channel Islands, so we were headed out to the coast um, next, which is on where we were headed. And the and beyond, I mean, the of course the most important part is the historical significance. But beyond that, it was really pretty too. It was a really pretty setting at the foothills, just right at the base of the Sierra Nevadas, and the um, were there cherry blossoms? I think there might have been. It was some kind of really bright pink tree um, in there on their site, and I just remember it looking just. It was a really pretty setting, and then you had this contrast of like beauty and like horror and it uh i don't know we just it really stands in our mind as one of our uh not you know not our favorite and as in we had so much fun but like one of the most significant to us historic sites that we saw yeah and definitely worth a visit uh definitely worth a detour I would say, because this was not along our route. We had to drive maybe an hour or two out of the way, and we had heard really good things, and it lived up to it. So check out Mansnar National Historic Site. All right, so now we're talking top five. Here's our number five is often mispronounced by us before we went there. <laughs> it is called Canyon de Chez. Spelled Canyon de Chelly, basically. Um, but Canyon de Chez is a, a national monument in um, Arizona. Mm -hmm. Really gorgeous, really gorgeous area and canyon, but it's got a very heavy... Um, influence of the history and the culture of the Native Americans who live there. So it's a really unique national monument because there are actually right now homesteads in the canyon of Native American people. Um, 
so that uh, that that just makes it a little different than all the other ones that we visited because we would go in and we went you know entered the area we stopped at Thunderbird Lodge had a coffee and chat with a, an old uh, law enforcement national park ranger who had been there a couple decades and got all his stories so that it was a great way to start mm-hmm. the visit, really made it come to life. And then we started on the drive around and did the drive around the canyon rim. Has a lot of overlooks, and that's all gorgeous, just looking into this huge canyon. But um, for me, the red of the slick rock and everything was contrasted really well with the green of of the valley and the grasses and the stuff you could see way far below um, that was fer- fertilized by this really um, lush river that ran through it. Yeah, just a really gorgeous setting, gorgeous canyon. Um, it was a good stop on our way to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> good little stepping stone. We did a hike into the canyon, so that was also a, n- a nice way to get you know, acclimated to okay, you're hiking down, but then you have to come back up. Usually, you know, a lot of times hikes are opposite. So we did the White House Trail, and what was that? Maybe three or four miles right. round trip. And yeah. it was... it was Four miles. It was not too hard. Um, it went down, of course, down into the, the canyon and kind of along the... Did it go along the river? Yes, a little bit. So... You got down there going through a side canyon, and then we crossed over the river to the other side, and it got you to the White House ruin. And another cool thing, as I mentioned, this is an old and current um, living place for Native Americans, and these cliff there are cliff dwellings all along the canyon that you can see many times from the rim, but this one you were actually able to hike down to. It was called the White House. There were some petroglyphs also next to it. So that hike down really made the visit uh, stand out because otherwise it would have been a really pretty scenery, but we we would have just driven through. Hiking down, put it on another level, and that's why it made our top ten. Yeah, and something just to know really quickly is that you, that was, I think that was the only self-guided trail you could take into the canyon. Right. You can pay for a guided tour, but it has to be, it has to be guided, you have to have a Native American guide with you through all the other areas of the park. So this was the one that you could do on your own. So we are now to number four which we put at the number four spot, White Sands National Monument. That is down in the very southernmost region of New Mexico. Yeah, and I don't know if you could find this on not, you know, missing from anyone's top ten list, because this is a super popular national monument. It's, I think it's the most visited national monument in New Mexico, or national park site in New Mexico. It's the most popular um, in, for very, very good reason. It's really fun. It was so it – <laughs> it's, it's, there's a lot of really fun things to do. Yeah, we went with uh, two of our friends who lived in Las Cruces, and New Mexico, nearby, and this was actually a trip we took before our All 59 National Parks tour. So – we were able to go with them and do a drive around the the dune field, and then you get out basically wherever you want and just traipse into the dunes. We did some sandboarding. We did a little barbecue picnic. Um, there's a lot of hiking you can do in the dune field. Don't forget to bring a lot of water. I know people have died of heat exhaustion. Um, recent, recently, recently. Mm-hmm. yeah, um, there's, I believe there's camping. 
right on the dunes. Just on the dune field, like we did in Great Sand Dunes. So we didn't camp here, but I'm sure that it would be amazing. And you can do a little cookout, too. We saw lots of families doing that when we were there, just stopping at one of the grills that they had and having a nice uh, picnic dinner. So that looked really fun. Yeah, it's just a park with a lot of good activities. Now it is in the middle of nowhere, so it is it is um, a destination in itself. It's it's less of a road trip stop, I would say, because it really takes a little bit of effort to get there. But if you if you at all can, we'd highly highly recommend it. Just the the white the whiteness of the of the sand because it's what gypsum, right? And so it's unlike other sand dunes that are, you know, brownish, I guess. But it's just so striking. It's just so stands out among everything else that you will ever see. It just I, looks like another world. Yeah, and that's the adjective that we hear most often is otherworldly when people are describing white sand dunes. So especially at night, I think. And if you can happen to go when maybe it's a full moon and you can happen to camp, that would be a really cool experience that I would want to do if we went back um, because that just adds to the whole otherworldliness. Yeah. Number four, three, sorry. Number three is a little closer to home, and this is one of our favorite local Midwest places and also really high up there in our overall list, and that's the Buffalo National Scenic River. So this was another trip that we took before we took our All 59 Parks um, tour, and we were living in Kansas City at the time and just did a short little drive, maybe three, four hours, probably closer to four, down to northwestern Arkansas where, first of all, there's just gorgeous country overall, but specifically, there's the Ozark National Scenic Riverway, or the, sorry, (laughs) the... There's that too, The Buffalo National Scenic River. Yeah, in the Ozark Mountains. Yes. So this is a really popular place for floating, um, for doing float trips, but also beyond that, there's so much amazing hiking to be done. And so we we knew we weren't going to float, so we planned a big we we had some friends meeting us for the second day, so we were able to plan like two 10-mile days of hiking in a loop and to, to do like a little shuttle with the two of our cars and camp here in the park. And so we started at Kyle's Landing and hiked around to some waterfalls to the east so we started going to the east from kyle's landing then we cut across the river um and we started on buffalo uh, river trail which is the big trail that runs through the whole uh, along the whole river for uh, dozens of miles we took a short section of that then we cut up across the river and made our way up the to compton um, trailhead. And that's where we camped with our friends and they brought all of our stuff, which was nice. We didn't have to carry it. And then on day two, which was definitely my favorite day two was amazing. We saw Hemden hollow. We a did... gigantic waterfall. It's yeah. not, not like the most powerful you'll ever see, but it falls from so high up there. Yeah. So, so tall, 200 something feet, I think. Yeah. And we hiked the goat goat trail right and that that was to see maybe my favorite one spot of the whole trip which was big bluff so goat trail takes you basically on the edge of this bluff well the middle of this bluff you're not even on top you're in the middle of it and you um can see down the river in both directions you know on either side of you you can see the rest of the bluff just trailing and tracing the river really gorgeous setting um 
Definitely a little precarious, especially if you're not comfortable with heights. Yeah, it was it was pretty scary at times because you feel like you're just right there at the edge, <laughs> at the edge of the of the huge bluff. Um, but just amazing views, some of the best we've, you know, some of the best for sure in the Ozark Mountain, um, in the in the Ozarks around our neck of the woods, um, and so. Yeah, highly, highly recommend the the views from the Big Bluff area of the Buffalo River. And we didn't put this in our notes, but you remember we saw a bear. our yeah, our we saw a giant black bear. That was our biggest like takeaway from the whole weekend is we didn't realize there was an actual chance of seeing bears. We weren't really being well, careful we, we with bear of, stuff. You know, that, we knew. But the park doesn't say much about that at all. Yeah, so there, that was a big surprise to me. Right. We knew that there were there are bears in the Ozarks. We just, you know, we were surprised that there were no signs that's saying, like, just make sure you store your food properly and be careful of bear. You know, <laughs> there, there was no warning and we just saw a giant, the, still like the biggest black bear I've seen. Yeah. Well, our friend ambling across the, our, the trail in front of us. So our friend spotted this bear first, actually, and we didn't believe her at all. Mm-hmm. But then we kind of took a couple steps and looked closer and it was this huge black mass so it, it was definitely a bear and definitely good for her for pointing it out because we were heading right towards the trail, the goat's trail where it was. Right. Um, so, uh, last thing on the Buffalo Scenic River. After goat trail, we continued making our loop around back to Kyle's Landing. And to get there, we went along the Old River Trail, which had us cross the Buffalo River four different times and that was just super fun oh it was really really yeah fun. wading through the river um it was a hot day so it felt yeah. really good and just yeah just a little something different it's a strong current yeah. and it was not not easy, not to easy. <laughs> you definitely have to also dodge all of the canoes which was also not easy but overall super impressed by Buffalo Scenic River yeah, I and go back. Northwest Arkansas. I would definitely go back. Let's go back. All right, number two. We've got, this is one we did during our actual trip, and it's down just north of the Everglades, and it's called Big Cypress National Preserve. Yeah, and I'm always kind of surprised that this one ranks so highly for us because it had come right after Everglades, which Everglades is great, we just didn't have the best experience there, mostly because of the mosquitoes and the the time of year that we went. Um, so, Big Cypress, though, ha- is really similar to Everglades in that it has a more swampy feel. It has huge cypress trees, thus the name. It has lots of alligators. And, and the, crazy, just create so much wildlife everywhere. And that's really what we noticed about Southern Florida when we were there. Um, Everglades is probably the, the park where we saw the, one of the parks where we saw the most wildlife all in, you know, in a the density of wildlife, I guess. And Big Cypress would mimic that. Right. Mostly birds and gators, I would say. And ranger programs. Yes. Not, that's not wildlife, but the <laughs> ranger programs there were amazing and free. You just have to sign up in advance because they fill up. But we did a two-hour ranger-led swamp walk, which was like sluice logging, um, but with a ranger. I felt much more comfortable with it. Um, if you listen to our other podcast when we talked about the Everglades and sluice logging, and I was not having it, but... With a ranger, it was okay. So you're walking basically in hip, hip, knee, knee more like knee to sometimes hip uh, height water. Right, because the you know the ground is just completely flooded. So you're walking through the big cypresses, through the 
sawgrass. I think I think I hope it's sawgrass, and just all this <laughs> vegetation. Um, you're seeing gator holes that the gators have kind of um, dug out. All of these growths right off the plants that grow right on the trees themselves. So it's a really lush vegetative uh, feel. Yeah, and the other ranger program we did was a canoe trip, which was free, totally free to use their canoes. So if you're going to Florida and you're saying, what should we do? Let's, maybe I want a kayak or, or get, you know, rent a canoe. It's free at Big Cypress. So we actually have our own kayak. So we just joined in with the other canoes, but the use of the canoes was free. And so it was ranger led through the, you know, through the river yeah the mangrove yeah we, the, it got oh, really yeah. tight as we kind of monkey barsed ourselves through the mangrove section then it opened up a little after that uh, where it was more in a prairie type feel you know with all the grass and we saw gators in the water while we were kayaking which was a little nerve-wracking but that it was fine again was totally the ranger fine. being there makes people a lot more comfortable right people (laughs) certain people certain people (laughs) and our number one are you done talking about big cypress well i I was just gonna add it's also a great uh stop on the path to the very easternmost section of everglades which we didn't explore a ton chakalaski chakalaski thank you but it was our favorite one of our favorite uh, private campgrounds that we ever went to was that a campground right on the water at Chokoloski, not because it's all crowded with RVers and, um, you know, old people in the winter, <laughs> but because it has the most amazing sunsets looking right over the water, right over the islands along the Florida coast. So anyway, we loved that stop, uh, that overnight location. But now, now our number one NPS site that's not a park, but is a park. Pictured, Pictured Rocks. Rocks, America's first national lakeshore on the shores of Lake Superior. And this is in Michigan, on right on Lake Superior, like she said, in the Upper Peninsula. So it was. We had heard a lot about it. It actually was on, I believe, the National Park annual pass a little bit ago, like last or for the centennial year. That was the picture. So we we looked at it every day (laughs) (laughs) when we handed that pass over. And that was this was probably one of the big reasons why we wanted to do our little Michigan road trip that we did a few a month ago, but was to hit Pictured Rocks and all the other uh, Great Lakes sites that we had just heard are so worthwhile. Yeah, there's a lot to do. Unfortunately, we didn't get to do a lot of it because we didn't realize that visiting in May would put us so far off season uh, for that area just because it's still so cold. But there is normally in the summer, there's kayaking, there are cruises that you can do through the rocks. Um, Of course, there's a lot of hiking that we did get to do, um, but just a lot of, you know, a lot of recreational activities that you can do. We loved the, 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 the the good thing that we got to got when it was off season was that it was empty, of course, and that there weren't a ton of black flies like there usually are. Yeah, we, I would recommend, I mean, I would not, probably not recommend visiting in the off season just because the, the park is harder to access some of these awesome things but if you visit just at the very very beginning like we could if we would have waited one week the cruises would have would have started but the crowds still wouldn't have been there very end of may very beginning of june yes so i would recommend just the very very beginning of the summer um or the very end because it does get pretty crowded i think in the in the middle of it and it was awesome to do it while it was totally empty so the hike that we did was one of our favorite hikes ever, 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 ever. And this was the Chapel Basin Loop. It was about 10 miles, a little under 10 miles, but dep- there's uh, a lot of different paths you can take to make the loop. 
And so it, it can be longer than 10 miles. It can also be as short as about six miles if you skip a few things. We went past Mosquito Falls and Chapel Falls and Chapel Rock and then all along the, the uh, shore there, the coast. And the reason why I liked it so much was that, first of all, 10 miles is a perfect length for me for a really pleasant day but also that it wasn't just one destination that you were shooting for the whole time and waiting for that and then coming back from that. It was an all-around awesome hike because first you have the waterfalls, you're going through a really nice wooded area, and it was one of those areas because it was early or late spring, everything was still kind of blooming. It wasn't... Um, overcrowded with brush and you could just see forever this the floor was just starting to become to to bloom and it had a few green buds blanketing the floor but you you could see forever through the the huge giant trees so it's hard to explain but it was an awesome feeling and view in the forest area and then of course you get to the cliffs along the coast and that was obviously amazing the best part um, because that's what pictured rocks is known and made for these actual pictured rocks yeah it was it was crazy we came up to the first overlook and I think we took like 100 pictures and then we got to the next overlook and the next one and the next one and the next one so there are just so many dozens of these little these little like alcoves um, that curve so you can see what you're standing on. You can see around. Um, and so, yes, you can take a cruise to get close up to the rocks, which is, I'm not sure how much it is, maybe 50 or $60 a person. Um, but this was, the hiking was a really unique perspective too because you, you do get, you can still see a good amount of the rocks even though you're kind of standing on top of them. And you see arches and you see, uh, she mentioned Chapel Rock, which was this incredible chapel-looking formation right on the beach, uh, right after the Chapel uh, Rock campsite, I believe, or the Chapel Basin campsite. Really must be an awesome backcountry campsite if you go there. We didn't camp. But the, this rock has a tree coming right out of the middle of it that has roots spanning about a 15-foot gap back to the main um, the mainland. So it's this column of rock with a tr- huge tree on it, and the roots are just extending, connecting it back a really long ways. Um, so I don't know, that's just a, a weird thing, but yeah. really interesting. And and beyond just that hike, we there were a lot of little places to stop and do short hikes. And uh, what else did we do? Saw the lighthouse. The lighthouse, yep. yep. And there are a few of those. Uh, the one we went to was the main one and just really picturesque you can also walk along the beach at the end there so it's a really easy walk out maybe two miles three miles there and then on the last portion you can drop down from the trail to walk along the beach and see some shipwrecks that was really cool just to see the remnants of these old ships that had crashed off Lake Superior and were now just stuck for eternity mm-hmm. in the sands. Yeah, but we could talk forever, I think, about Pictured Rocks. It, it's a really good, it was an awesome road trip stop through, um, on a road trip through the Upper Peninsula, which is just, if you've never been, it just has so many gorgeous places to stop and see. And this was definitely, definitely one of them. Check out a post we put up recently with our video of our whole Great Lakes road trip um, because that really explains the route we took. And I think it's a perfect week-long route for a road trip that gets you to see so much. And it's all it was all completely new to us. Yeah, so that wraps up our top 10. 
but we do have some runners up because we are cheaters and we always do. So really quick, we're going to ramble off these five uh, runners up that we have of that, that we got to experience. And of course, there's still a lot on our list that we have not been to yet. We know that there are so many amazing places around the country. So one of the five was the just, and this was kind of a lot of sites within this area, but the Washington, D.C., the National Mall, which includes like the Abraham Lincoln Memorial, the, the Washington Memorial, the, or the Washington Monument, the, um, everything, the Thomas Jefferson Memorial, the, a lot of the war memorials, I don't know what else. Yeah, well, just does it, just about, just about at least 10 different sites you can see just within a little walking distance, and it's all free, and uh, I I think Washington, D.C. is a really awesome place to, to tour as a, as someone who's interested in history, and the national parks provide that. Number two runner-up was San Francisco Maritime National Historic Park and Park, and that was right off Fisherman's Wharf, so very popular tourist area. Had a ton of old ships. Super interesting to see these ships from different eras, uh, and San Francisco, the bay there, a huge has a huge long shipping history, and these ships were super fascinating, and you could go on a few of them. And that was amazing. Colorado National Monument, which is really close to the border of Colorado and Utah. And it was a, a quick trip for us, but it, it had a scenic drive up into the little would amphitheater. You, amphitheater, would, would you call it. it a canyon almost? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just really good views, really good. We had actually really bad camping experience there, but we won't get that wasn't <laughs> that was the, because of the people. It wasn't the monument's fault. Um number yeah, f- just a nice little scenic drive and really good overlooks. Yeah, number four runner up. We're going hometown here, Jefferson National Expansion Memorial. Uh, it is the arch. That's what the arch grounds is called. And I think the arch is an awesome monument. You can go up in it and see amazing views of the city and the Mississippi River. But also, there's a really cool museum underneath. And it's all about the westward expansion. Um, So, I love history. It's really well done. It's actually getting renovated as we speak. So, it's going to be even better in the future. And, quick side note, the whole expansion memorial area including the arch grounds was just renovated with a gigantic i think the most expensive um national park service project Project. single project in the history and it it's gorgeous now the the grounds are beautiful so it's just is it done is it open the, the grounds and the arch are open yes okay but the museum isn't okay yes gotcha and number five, Sleeping Bear Dunes. So this is also in Michigan, but in lower, in, in not the, right just before you get to the Upper Peninsula. And this is on Lake Michigan, not su- Lake Superior. Um, but just huge dunes just right on the lake. Lots of awesome hiking. Really crazy just to see how blue the lake was. I don't know that if that sounds silly. But we had really good hiking there, and we got to run around on the dunes and have a lot of fun on our Michigan trip. And last but not least, we wanted to mention, uh, we asked this question on Instagram, and somebody mentioned Apostle Islands. So Explorer Girl Emily said, Apostle Islands National Lake Shore, gorgeous sea caves and islands in Lake Superior are the perfect summer destination. Love taking the ferry out to Madeline Island and spending the day there. And so we wanted to throw in that bonus reader submission as well. So the big takeaway from this whole episode is don't get caught up in the designation of a park. You know, take big road trips and make sure to include all of your uh, all of these stops beyond the national parks, all the national memorials, the national preserves, because there's a reason each of these are protected. 
and it's usually because they're either scenically awesome or historically awesome. Mm -hmm. So we have never struck out with a non-national park NPS site. Right. And really, every vacation for the rest of our lives could be based around NPS sites, and I think we could be fine with that. You know, there there are so many, just, they're everywhere. If you look at a map of the country, there's probably one near you that you didn't know about, and we super recommend going. Just check it out. See what piece of the puzzle that little that little NPS site fits into the overall scope of the country. And if you want to hear more about these NPS sites all over the country, we just did an episode that was an interview with a guy traveling to all 418 national park sites in three years, and he has a fascinating story. So check out that last episode with Micah Meyer. And go find your park. That's right. (laughs) Because there's ones near you. And that is it for today. So thanks for checking us out. We'll be back next week to share about two national parks that have been protected for their historical significance, Mesa Verde and Hot Springs. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend. Give us a rating on iTunes. Check us out on SoundCloud. Find us on social media at Switchback Kids. And you can always get additional national parks, videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks, Switchbacks out. out.